All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. My name is Paul McVitie. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Chapel Hill Church. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Father, we are reminded in your word, in the Bible, in John chapter 15, by your Son, that that we are invited to abide in you. That we always have and always will have that secret place where we can go and know that we are loved unconditionally and know that your hand is on us and know that you are pleased with us. God, I ask that you would just continue to guide us to that place every day of our lives. We face enough. How can we not, how can we not need to and desire to go to our secret place in you and to abide in you and to stay there, to rest in you, to find strength in you, to unload our burdens on you and allow you to carry them. Thank you for providing that for us. Thank you for the tremendous love that you have for us and the invitation that you give to us to come, to be there, to rest. God, as we continue now in our series on what it is to be a disciple and to make disciples, God, just open our eyes. Open our eyes. Let us see today the, the call that you've put on our lives to, to do this together. Guide us now as we talk about you, we talk about who you are, we talk about who we are. May your spirit fill this place. Guide us into all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been talking about a disciple. And a disciple is one who follows one's teaching. So a disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who follows Jesus' teaching. We've been working through that a little bit. We've described a disciple as someone who is obedient, surrendered, and contagious. We're talking about each of those elements, and we've been focused particularly on the obedience and surrender piece. And last week, we talked about taking obedience and surrender one day at a time, finding one of Jesus' commands and being obedient to it, putting it into practice, realizing that this is something that we need to grow in and and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Jesus, I will follow your teaching. I will put this into practice. I will obey And we put that thing into practice one day at a time. We talked about finding an area in our lives that we hold on to too tightly and surrendering that, surrendering control of that to God through prayer, through intentionally letting go of that. And we know, you know, I know what those things are that we hang on to too tightly. Our plan, our control, our perspective, our opinion on how things ought to go. This morning, we're going to talk about the second aspect of being and making disciples. We've been talking about the first one, and the first one is this. Being and making disciples is transformational. We talked about the fact that Jesus makes us. He transforms us. He shapes us as we follow him in obedience, and we invite him to make us. We surrender to that work in our lives, and it changes us. It transforms us. The second aspect of all this that we're looking at is that being and making disciples is relational. And we're going to start talking about that today. 
And then the third is that being and making disciples is missional. Missional is a word that's used in Christian circles. Um, and it even comes up as an incorrect spelling when I type it into my computer. It's, it's limited in its use. And so we can't just assume that the whole world understands what missional means. But it has everything to do with someone who has taken the posture, thinking, behavior, and practices of a missionary to reach people around them in life. And we'll talk about that. This is the fishers of men element of what we're doing. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And we'll get to that in the next month as we, as we reach that point. So let's talk about the relational side of being and making disciples. Um, I do not believe that God ever directed us to train for eternity alone exclusively. That's not his plan for us. There is most certainly a need for a personal relationship with him. He desires that himself. God wants us. God wants me. God wants you. He wants our individual lives. Jesus invited you to follow him. He invited me to follow him. Becoming and being a disciple is a decision that we make ourselves. Nobody can make it for us. I repent. I am baptized. I obey. I surrender. God will use me in a very personal way to accomplish his will in this world. So please don't misunderstand when we talk for the next few weeks about the relational component to being and making disciples. We've talked so far about our personal obedience and our personal surrender. But now I want to turn our attention to what it means to be and make disciples with the people around us. We're going to end this service today by having communion together. And that is one of many strong reminders that God has given us of his call on us to live in community. It's something that we do together. It's right in the word communion. I'm going to tackle this idea in three parts this morning. These are the questions and statements that I'd like to look at. First of all, the question is, why do we train alone? Why is it that we train alone? And then secondly, I'll look at some reasons why we should not train alone. And thirdly, some reasons why we should train together in God's family. So let's jump right into it. Um, In this life, we are in training for eternity. We talked about that at the beginning of the series. That's why it's called in training. Because we in this world and in this life are in training for eternity. And hopefully that brings purpose to our lives. This life is not all there is. Nor is this life simply a waiting period for eternity to start. We get to live as God's people now and forever. And as God's people, we are all members of one family. We're part of something much bigger than ourselves and our individual lives. When Jesus comes back and God's kingdom comes to reign here on earth with him living with us. Can you imagine God saying, okay, Paul, here's your little piece of the kingdom. You won't have to see anyone else if you don't want to. You can just take this piece of property in Alaska and live off the land And I'll check in on you from time to time. Now, in all honesty, I've had that dream more than once. (laughs) I want a log cabin. I want it located where a stream meets a lake. In fact, it should probably look like this. That's my heaven. That's what I thought it would look like. That was my view of heaven as a kid and as an adult. And, and last week, as I made the mistake of Googling this for, to find a usable picture that looked like my dream of what heaven is, it wasn't a good idea. Now, 
I am not saying that what God's going to do in heaven is set up this massive apartment building and we're going to live 10 to a room for the rest of eternity. It's not what I'm saying. God's got a perfect plan for us. But his plan includes us being a part of his family. His people will be a perfect family. A unified, loving, perfectly constructed family. It's going to be quite a contrast to what we might have experienced here in this lifetime. So much of our experience in this lifetime has moved us towards this individualistic life that we leave, that we live. And so our, our faith journey, our walk as disciples of Jesus, has also become very individualistic in many, many ways. Why is that? Why is that? If we're truly in training for an eternity with our Father as his children, brothers and sisters, then why are we living so much of this life on our own? It's the first thing that I want to look at this morning. Why do we train alone? Why do we train alone? Let me throw out a few suggestions as to why we train alone. Um, First of all, in general, we're pretty private people. Some of us would love to be around other people all the time, but I think that's the exception. And, and I don't believe this is just a Midwestern Scandinavian thing. Um, it's not a Canadian thing either. I think we do it because it's just easier to go alone. It's just easier to go it alone. It's safer. And, and so we determine that we won't talk about politics or religions when we're together My faith is none of your business, and your faith is none of my business. I have my own stuff figured out, and so if I stick my nose in someone else's business, it's going to make it awkward. So we leave it alone. I'm happy in my little bubble. No conflict, no tension, no mess. Much easier than the alternative. Why else do we train alone? Well, I think we train for eternity alone because... We simply don't want others to see us fail in our training. We've been looking at the makeup of a disciple. A disciple is obedient. Am I willing to let someone else see me fail, see me be disobedient? That's hard. I really don't want to face the judgment and the rejection that would come if you really knew what I struggle with. I don't want you to think less of me. I don't want you to judge me. I don't want you to look down on me. So I'll just do this alone. I'll maintain the facade. I'll keep my profile looking super impressive. Because I fear what will happen if I don't. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How's that for a picture of how this better together thing ought to work? God is asking us to be humble, gentle, and patient as we bear with each other in love. Why? Because his desire, Paul says, is unity and peace among his children. And it sounds here like we're going to fail. Otherwise, we wouldn't need these things to be a part of who we are. Perfect people don't need to be patient with each other. Perfect people don't need to bear with each other. But we're afraid that our brothers and sisters are not going to respond this way to our failures. Why do we train alone? 
Well, for some of us, we train alone because we're only willing to answer to ourselves. There's a word that we simply don't want to hear as an expectation. This is especially true of men. The word is accountability. I don't need to be accountable to you. My private life is none of your business. We have such a messed up understanding of this. We will not answer to another man. I've got this. You stay out of it. Here's why I think we struggle with this so much. I think it's because we don't see ourselves as accountable to God most of the time. We see the grandpa God who lets us get away with everything. And the worst that we get from him is a slightly disappointed look. But in our minds, his discipline never goes beyond that. So how could we ever be expected to be accountable to another flawed human being? So we go it alone. Or maybe the reason that we go it alone is this. Maybe it's because our training is really the only training that matters to us. How often do we consider someone else's training? And I don't mean from the perspective of of being their instructor, but from the perspective of being someone running next to them. Our home group's ministry has a theme passage from the Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Am I in relationship with someone who's stirring me up to love and good deeds? More than that, am I in the kind of relationship with someone where I care about their transformation so much that I stir them up to love and good deeds? I have to care about them to do that. And they have to care about me. Why do we train alone? Let's look at one more possible reason. When we compare and compete, we set ourselves up against others not with others. Comparison and competition push us into isolation. Thinking that I am more or less spiritually mature than someone else keeps me from experiencing unity with them. Attempting to outdo someone else in spiritual matters or any matters pushes me into isolation, and I go it alone. There are reasons why we train alone, not in relationship with each other. These reasons do not come from God as if he's the one calling us to isolation and individualism. So let me suggest a few reasons why we should not train alone. A little negative motivation for us, but I'll turn it around soon. Don't worry. There are several things that just came out of what I said about why we train alone. Here are a few more things that we should consider. First, we shouldn't train alone Because we're setting ourselves up to fail without support when we do. When I fail, I spiral downward quickly. I don't know what it's like for you, but that's me. I get disappointed with myself. I get mad at myself. I get sad. I despair sometimes. It's not pretty when I fail. And I live a lot in fear of failure because of that. But my fear of failure decreases when I've experienced failure that I've been able to process with somebody else. 
knowing that they're not going to walk away from me. Parents, you may have seen this in your relationship with your kids. When they fail, which your kids do, mine don't, but yours do. (laughs) Yeah, you owe me for that one. We as parents, when they fail, cannot just reject them. We have to create a a safe place where they can fail, knowing full well that they're going to be restored by us. They're going to be forgiven by us. Let's take a biblical example of this. How about Peter? He failed in a huge way when he denied even knowing Jesus in Jesus' lowest point on his way to the cross? What if Peter had to live the rest of his life alone with that failure? Can you imagine? But he didn't. Jesus' love for him, which was at the core of their relationship, restored Peter. We don't have that hope of restoration when we go it alone. And so we shouldn't, church, we shouldn't go it alone. We should be in relationship with people who will restore us when we fail. Why else shouldn't we train alone? Because facing the challenges that our training brings alone stinks. It's just reality. Jesus told his disciples that in this world you will have trouble. Very encouraging. Disciples of Jesus are called to be nonconformists. They're called to stand out like light stands out in the darkness. They're called to stand against the lusts and temptations of the flesh and of this world. Peter used the phrase, when you are slandered, not if, when. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you. And listen to this gem from Luke 6, 22. Jesus speaking, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, the fact that this is actually going to happen is bad enough. Now add to that the pain of having to go through it alone and you have a convincing argument for not training alone. It's overwhelming on your own. Why would we want to face this training in isolation? But there are other reasons to not train alone. God made this pretty obvious for us. In fact, he gave us a model for the exact opposite in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't walk his path alone. He called 12. He sent out 72. He had three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were very, very close to him. And he didn't do anything to cover that fact up and show us that we can't do this alone. He didn't say you can do it alone. He never did. John, John referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John made sure that we would all know that he was actually sitting next to Jesus and leaning back on him at the table. When John was writing down the account of that time at the table and he wrote about how much Jesus loved him and the fact that he was the one that was so close to Jesus that he casually leaned back on him, why didn't the Holy Spirit smack John in the back of the head and say, John, erase that? That doesn't belong there. That's not a very professional thing to say. It's not a very spiritual thing to say. Or was it? 
Jesus did what he did in the context of relationship with those around him. He didn't walk his path alone. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed so lovingly for those who had walked his path with him. He referred to them as those whom the Father had given him and told his Father he had loved them through to the end. His love for them was complete. There were significant relationships there. So where do we get this idea that he wants us to do this alone? One more reason why we shouldn't train by ourselves. There are more for sure, but I'll stop with this one for now. We shouldn't train alone because celebrating what God is doing in me by myself is really lacking something. The Apostle Paul couldn't contain himself. Here's Paul who never actually made it to Rome, but he's writing in Romans 7, sharing his struggles with his brothers and sisters in Rome and making it so clear that God was doing amazing things in him. Now admit it. Wouldn't it be great to hear a brother or sister in Christ tell you how proud of you they are for what God is doing in your life? That'd be kind of meaningful. And it sure beats sitting in your room alone and dealing with feelings of guilt because you don't feel like you're growing enough or being obedient enough. And maybe, just maybe, it's actually your enemy lying to you about those things, but you're not sure because it's the only voice that you're hearing. Don't do this alone. Okay, let's turn this to the positive. Here are some reasons why we should train together. There are a lot of them, but here are just a few things that make it clear that we are better together, church. First of all, we should train together because we need the body and the body needs us. We need the body and the body needs us. I seriously believe that we were created to work together. I love the analogy of the body that we've been given in the Bible. Every part of the body plays a role. A left elbow by itself is pretty useless, A left elbow connected to a fully functional body has a meaningful purpose. My faith walk plays an essential role in the function of this church. Your faith walk does too. Every life, every walk, what you're learning from Jesus matters to the function of this body. What I'm learning matters to the function of this body. Every part, every one of us works together. As each of us develops, this body develops. So we ought to train together. And listen to this. We're we're actually training to be the body, not just training to be a left elbow. There's a, a subtlety there that we've got to grasp. I am training to be a fully functional member of a body. So are you. I'm not just training to be the best me that I can be. I'm training to be the best us that I can be, to be the best part of us that I can be. I have to see myself as part of something much bigger than just me. I play a team sport, not an individual sport. I'm a soccer player, not a golfer. The Winter Olympics start this week. Can't wait. Let's use the Olympics as a reminder that while we do run an individual race and we strive to finish that well, we run as part of a team. 
What we do contributes to the effectiveness of God's team, God's people, God's family. Why else should we train together? We should train together because seeing the value and frailty in each other is simply amazing. Be a little bit selfish for a moment. When someone else sees the value that you have, doesn't it feel pretty good? I think that God gave us each other to remind us of our value. Every one of us should have someone in our lives who sees what God sees in us and who's willing to let us know that they see it. We're not going to get that when we're walking alone. God uses us to remind others of the value that he sees in us. We really are a gift to each other, whether we're willing to admit it or not. But it takes some work and some self-sacrifice to to get to this point where we do this for each other. What it usually takes is our own willingness to do that for someone else. And then eventually it comes back to us. But that's putting others ahead of yourself. Give that gift to them. And eventually God will give it back to you through them. And it's not just seeing the value in each other that's important for us. I think it's critical that we have someone in our lives who sees our frailty as well. On the surface, it sounds terrible. We talked earlier about not wanting anyone to see us fail. But what if we knew each other and understood each other on a level where we see each other's strengths and weaknesses and we love each other? What if you could see that the person you're in a relationship with is just like you? They fall short. They struggle. They have insecurities and fears just like you do. Wouldn't that be something? It's part of training together. In these kinds of relationships, we get to experience Jesus in each other. His love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, his restoration, his grace. And believe me, he wants us to experience him while walking this planet. Listen to what Paul wrote about how we experience Jesus through each other. This is 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And everywhere means everywhere. We don't just spread that fragrance to people living in dark. We do that for each other as brothers and sisters. In two weeks, I'm going to talk with you about just how much we have to learn from each other. We're going to look at horizontal disciple making, and it's a term that I just made up, so don't, you weren't expected to know that. I think it'll help us see each other the way that God wants us to see each other and relate to each other. And so we need to work through that. So why should we train together? Let me give you one final reason for today that ties directly into where we're going to go after we look at the relational aspect of being and making disciples. We should train together because of this, because of John 13, 35, where it says, by this, Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We should train together because training together is at the very heart of our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ. 
the love that we have for each other, which is pretty tough to see if we walk alone, is going to point this world to Jesus. Later in this series, we'll talk more about what that looks like. I think there are some pretty compelling reasons here why we should be walking the road of a disciple together rather than just alone. And the question now is, what do we do with this? What do we do with it? Is it compelling enough to impact the way that we live our lives? Is it significant enough to move us to a place where we consider others as more important than ourselves? Is this going to move us to lay our lives down willingly for each other? On the way to the cross, Jesus left a very clear message with his disciples. The message was love one another. Love each other. And honestly, that's impossible to do if we're not in relationship with each other. We were made to be in relationship with each other. We were made to train for eternity together. We're going to close our time together by sharing communion. When we participate in communion here at Chapel Hill, we're aware of at least four foundational things. When we share communion together, we look back at what Jesus did for us. We look back at his death on the cross, the sacrifice that he made for us, his blood being shed for us so that we could be forgiven. We look back and remember what he did. We also look forward to his return. When he talked about communion, he said, do this together in remembrance of me until I come back. It's an ongoing reminder for us. So we look forward to his return. Thirdly, we look in order to examine our hearts. And I always want to encourage you before you just come up here and go through the motions of doing communion, you need to check your heart. Open it up before God and say, God, what in me needs to be dealt with? If there is anything that you have done, that I have done, that we have not come to the Father with and asked for his forgiveness, it has to happen before we come. We don't hide things from him as we come and celebrate the death of his son. So we look inward. And finally, we look around and we recognize, church, that this is the bond that you and I have. This is what makes us brothers and sisters. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what brought us into this family. It was not the thing that brought you as an individual into the kingdom where you were assigned your individual spot. It was your adoption into God's family where we have now become brothers and sisters in God's eternal family. We are brothers and sisters because of what Jesus did. And when we come, we've got to come remembering that and being aware of the fact that there is a bond between us that will last forever and that God is calling us to live out that bond now, here, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives as we walk and train and live together in relationship with each other, in love with each other. So church, when you come, recognize that bond this morning. Remember that bond. Don't be afraid to look around a little bit as you come. It's not awkward if everyone's doing it. So just look around at each other and realize that this, this, brothers and sisters, is our eternal family. You and I will be together forever as part of God's family. 
And he is asking us to live as God's family now. And not just walk alone. Yeah, you've got your own individual responsibility. You have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's called us to live in community, in relationship with each other. So remember that when you come. Remember that his body was given for us in obedience. He took our place as a sacrifice for sin. His blood was shed so that you and I could be washed clean and stand before God as blameless, spotless children in his family. Praise him for that this morning. I'm going to invite the elders to come and prepare to serve and the worship team to come as we, uh, we sing together. And we're going to have a little time at the beginning of just some instrumental music where you can do that heart check and just prepare yourselves to come and remember what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. So let's pray as we prepare. Father, I do thank you that you, you created us from the beginning. You created mankind to be in community, to live together, to experience relationships with each other the way that you design relationships to be. You created us to love each other as a reflection of your love. But God, I'll admit that we struggle with this. We struggle with getting below the surface, with getting beyond the, hi, how are you doing? I'm fine kind of relationship. We struggle to truly walk shoulder to shoulder with somebody. We struggle to be intentionally the fragrance of your son in each other's lives. God, I ask that you would help us with that. That you would break down whatever it is that's standing between us and relationship. That you would do away with whatever's going on in our, in our heads and our hearts that's making us feel like it's safer if we just go it alone, so we're just going to go it alone. That you would help us to see all that we're missing out on by doing that. That you would help us to truly, truly hear without any hindrance the words of Jesus when he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. With true, unconditional, selfless, life-giving love for each other. God, I pray that for each one of us, we would look around in our lives and, and if we can't identify people that we're in honest, authentic relationship with, where we can see each other's strengths and frailty, that, that you would help us to move. Give us the motivation to move towards opening ourselves up to someone and not just blurting it all out, but building an, a, a loving, accepting, unconditional type relationship with people. God, I pray for this church as a whole. I think of the, the observations of the New Testament church where historians wrote of the love that they had for people. I've seen it in my own life, the, the difference that it makes when others can see the love that we have for each other. 
and what a deep impact it has on those people. So God, just move us. Move us in this direction. Help us to learn what it means to be in relationship with each other, the way that you've designed it. And God, right now, I pray that you would help us to to truly acknowledge the fact that there is a bond between us that is eternal, that is deeper than anything else that we can create. And it is this bond that happens because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again in order to open the door for us to come into your family. So help us to come this morning acknowledging the the significance of what happened for us. Not just with our lips, not just on a brain level, but in, in all of life. To recognize that your son died, was buried and rose again so that we could come together as one global family, one eternal family, your children, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for his blood. For the forgiveness that you offer us through that. A beautiful thought. We praise you for that. We remember as we come. And we do it all in the name of the one who gave his life. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.